Hey everybody, Eric here. Just a little disclaimer before you listen to this episode from my very special guest, Jan Major. Hi. Um, so in this episode, uh, we discuss the MBTI, which is a framework for understanding different personality types. One thing that I just wanted to make clear is that the MBTI is ultimately a framework. It's not something that says, oh, you belong in this personality box and you have to stay there and you're there all the time and that's who you are. It's a preference. No one is a single personality type at all times. In fact, it's common for people to take tests at different times and have totally different results based on their mental state at the time of taking it. It's really designed to just help people understand who they are better and understand other people better. Understand that, yeah, this is something that is often my personality. Yes, I might prefer something, some situations more than others. Yes, this is closer to how I see the world most of the time. It doesn't mean that that's always who you are. It doesn't mean that that's always who you'll be. It doesn't even mean that that means that you're the same as other people with the same personality type. Eric and I have tested to have the same personality type and we are very, very different people. It is uh, ultimately just something to help you understand the world better. And just as a heads up, if anyone ever tries to use it in a way other than this to say, predict job performance, figure out whether they should hire you for a certain position or anything like that, they're misusing it and you should be very skeptical. Perfect. Now on with the show that we recorded earlier. Thanks everybody. Hi, this is Jan Major and I'm joining Eric today on his Cine Life podcast. For those of you who have been listening, you might remember that a while back, uh, Eric interviewed me about my father, Gerard Major. And at the end of that, uh, we realized that there are still a whole bunch of stories about him that we could tell, so he brought me back on to finish it. That's right. Not only that, but to make you do the intro because I'm too lazy to do it myself. No, not really. I feel like, what? how do you feel about that? I feel like that's a good little shtick to have the guest in. Uh, introduce themselves I like that why I'm not sure I do have to say it would be it's easier to have someone else talk about you than to talk about yourself because if I'm like asked oh tell me a couple things about Eric that's so easy whereas if I'm asked hey tell me a couple of things about yourself it's like um uh well the thing is is with most guests I can I can say things about them because they'll usually be very, very public about who they are and what they want out there in, in terms of like 
the last guest I interviewed had a website, and I know that there's a whole bunch of stuff I could say about him because he's already put it out in public. Mm-hmm. But whereas you, you're more of a private person. So I don't want to introduce you <laughs> because I don't know <laughs> what you want me to say or not say. Uh, but with that said, uh, uh, I, don't, I, I feel like having the guests introduce them, themselves, I'd never heard that before on a show, on a, on a terrestrial radio show or a podcast. So... Uh, yeah, so this is the second of a rolling series of episodes about the late, legendary, mythical Gerard Jerry Major. Uh, Jerry is in quotes, air quotes, because uh, some people called him Jerry, some people didn't. At what point was that the cutoff? Um, it was uh, sometime, I think, shortly before I was born. Um when he was younger people used to call him jerry all the time uh but then as he got older he decided that he preferred gerard um so yeah when i was alive he usually introduced himself as gerard but people who'd known him for a long time called him jerry interesting at what point did he change the spelling of his last name and why um so uh, the spelling of his last name and mine was initially M-A-G-E-R. It's a German word meaning skinny. However, it's pronounced the same way as major, M-A-J-O-R. Um, as my relatives would say, major pronounced kind of like wager. But, um, yeah, Often people didn't really know how to pronounce it, how to say it. It is pronounced differently in German. I can't pronounce it in German because I don't speak German. But um, there were some issues. And somehow, some point when I was very young, he just decided to change it uh, to M-A-J-O-R. My family has a long history of making strange interesting changes to uh their their last names um apparently some ancestor uh their original last name was Rishkowitz and then they bought a business called Katz's and they just found out that it would be cheaper to change their last name than to change the name of uh the store and so they just changed their last name instead and honestly i mean cats is kind of a better last name anyway yeah was it spelled like the cat's deli yes yeah but it wasn't that Uh, no no no, i didn't think it would be because then we would have been eating a lot of free sandwiches uh over the past 10 years um for the non-New York people, Cat's Delicatessen is a landmark which I've never actually dined in. I've never had one of their famous, uh, what was it, like a, some sort of roast beef sandwich or something? I forget. But um, there's some kind of sandwich that they're really known for. And I never bothered. That's the one big New York thing I don't think I ever bothered with. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going um, to meander a little bit on this episode. So... Um, it's an interesting history with name changes. You know, my, my, my surname is English, and it's been the same surname ever since uh, the first Norcross came across on a little, uh, on a little rocking sailboat going, 
or you know uh I forget the year, but it was early. It was way before the Revolutionary War. Not way before. Shortly before. No, it was way before. Really? It I was thought early. it was like it was early, right before. Man. And I think it was I think it was the um, Jeremiah line. Yeah, Jeremiah that sounds Norcross. right. And something like ninety-seven percent of the Norcrosses in North America come from that line. So that's interesting, and I'm definitely in that boat. So. Yeah. Others in that boat also include people like Emily Norcross Dickinson, uh, which Emily is Dickinson. really cool. Yeah. And uh, I studied her in my undergrad. A former uh, mayor of Georgia who. No, 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 no. He, no. no wait, no. Mayor of Atlanta? I'm sorry. So, so like 19th mayor of Boston. Ah. Uh, and one of the co founders of pre Civil War Atlanta. Ah. Uh, which is not the same as Atlanta. Because pre-Civil War Atlanta was a different monster. So I think it was Jonathan Norcross that went down south. And I think that that's also the guy that Norcross Georgia is named from. Yeah, that sounds about right. Whereas Otis Norcross was the 19th mayor of Boston. Mm. But the only one that really did anything worthwhile was Eric Norcross. Really not Emily Dickinson? Well, Emily Dickinson was a Dickinson. That's true. She's only a but Norcross she was an on her Emily mother's Norcross side. Dickinson. She's only a Norcross on her mother's side, and she—I mean, I don't think she tried to do anything worthwhile. To be honest, they found her poems after she died. That's true. Uh, She—I mean, that if there had been a fire in the house, we wouldn't have known anything about what was going through that little brain of hers. Uh, I, yeah. Obviously, some really great work was going through that little brain of hers, but uh, I don't know. I just. Uh, I feel like I set out to do things, whereas, I, I don't know, maybe Otis did too. Because <laughs> uh, you, don't, you don't run for public office unless you're setting out to do great things. Most Norcrosses, in my experience, just want to live an easy life from cradle to grave. That's, that's sort of my, how my family and extended family and how I see sort of the relatives I'll never meet. I don't know. Maybe some Norcross can come out of the woodwork and prove me wrong, or I don't know. But I've never seen a Norcross out there doing it, other than me. I'm the most important Norcross here and in England. Okay, that's totally fair. I know. All right. So <laughs> now that I'm done sounding like a pretentious douchebag, uh, it's Saturday. We're having tea. I just finished oh, an awesome bowl of uh, chicken noodle soup, and so I'm feeling very arrogant right now. And uh, Jan's going to uh, take me down a few notches and sound super intelligent uh, in this podcast compared to me. So I don't feel smart today. I feel like, oh, I know I, I, know I want to record this thing, but I also don't know if my, my neurons are firing. My... My ego neurons are, are working, which aren't really neurons at all. But, like, I don't know. I can't talk literature today. I don't know why. Hmm. Um, and I, which is weird, because I've been reading all week. Are, are you sure it's not that James just snuck over to your pillow and kind of crushed your head for part of the night? That was you. Yeah, but maybe he just decided on a change. He doesn't do that to me. He knows better. That's true. James, James is, is our, our cat. Cats. Yeah, he's one of our cats. And uh, he sleeps on Jan's pillow. 
and he takes up 97% of the pillow. 97% is the number for today's episode. Ah, okay. <laughs> Just like making up weird percentages. While the Norcross uh, 97% is not a made up percentage. That was the percentage about five years ago. Excuse me. Anyway. Let's go back to Gerard. Yes. So. Gerard had a client who, when I met this client, he was, it probably still is, a very successful vocal performer. And not not by, I don't mean singer. Uh, I mean, he's the guy who would voice commercials, audiobooks, um, other random spoken word recordings. He had a great voice for it, too. And he even did one project for us, which is no longer available. But we made a documentary on the real Sleepy Hollow in uh Hudson Valley, New York, and he recorded the narrative for us because he's a very good documentary narrative voice guy. And uh, it turns out that he that wasn't his initial uh, that was his calling, but it wasn't his initial career. And Gerard was instrumental in in sort of helping him with one important component of that transition, and that was selling off his father's paint factory or paint store or something like that. Can you correct me on any of this? I actually don't remember which business it was. Um, there were just so many businesses. I sometimes get them a little bit confused. I think it was a paint store. It, that sounds like it could be right. Or there might have been another client as well who wanted to be an actor who like had a trucking business. That was a or... different guy. Different guys. That's the next episode. <laughs> yeah, and of course these are like, these are people <laughs> who were dad's lifelong friends and who I basically grew up with. So yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Eric so knows the tracking guy better. will be the next episode. But this the the vo the voiceover guy. So he inherited a paint store, if I if I understand the story correctly, and he brought Gerard on to help him sell it off and kind of get the best deal he could and not be screwed over in the deal and kind of just kind of squeak out of that safely. But he had initially inherited the paint store from his parents. His parents set him up to do that as a career and he didn't want to do that as a career. He wanted to perform with his voice, which I can understand he's perfect for it. Um, he was clear when I met him, he was clearly passionate about it. Uh, he enjoyed coming into Manhattan and meeting with his agent. <laughs> I remember specifically meeting him with him a few times on one of his trips. And uh, him saying, my, one of my favorite things is coming into the city and meeting with uh, people about this business. And it's nice to be able to hear stories of people who transitioned out of the life they didn't want for the life they want and avoid the sort of quiet desperation that so many people fall into who could have great careers in the arts but don't. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, this guy, uh, he had always wanted to be an actor, but he ended up just kind of getting shoved into the family business. And he really wasn't comfortable with it. It wasn't something he wanted to do. And so what my dad did was he ultimately step stepped in, helped him 
improve the business so that sales were better, it was performing better, more efficiently, effectively, etc. And then helped him sell it. Um, and then part of what that helped him do was set himself up. Um, he, I think, became a multimillionaire from the sale. And with that, he was able to really establish himself doing what he wanted um, and he ended up having a very successful career um, as a voiceover artist. And I think part of the story is about figuring out ways to find your passion, to follow your passion and do go into art and figure out how to do it. That's ultimately what this podcast is about. But I think one other interesting thing is that by taking the time to focus on that uh, business, uh, get it running well, and then selling it off properly, he did put himself in a position where he could much more easily launch his career um, just because of financial stability, um, just being older and understanding things better, etc. Right. What? Well, let's say you have people who know that they're not kind of where they should be. You know, I, I once, I don't know if this is true, but I once read that Steven Spielberg had a quote where, um, and whether or not he actually said it, it, it leads into something really useful. And that's the usefulness of resentment. <laughs> and, and sort of, you're, you know, if, if you see somebody out there doing something and you're resentful of it, that's your body telling you that maybe you're not where you should be or where you want to be. And whether you know it or not, and so that's about as useful as resentment gets, after which you have to put it into check and then start making moves to improve your own uh, situation. But um, we can credit to Spielberg because I think that's a really great, uh, a great quote or great idea. Um, and I don't know that there's a lot from him that exists. So we'll credit that to Spielberg and, and bounce off of that because I think that um, obviously this vocal performer knew that what he wanted but there are a lot of people out there that don't know what they want or don't know where they got to be but they what they do know is that they're not happy or maybe it's a, a suspicion a sneaky feeling or maybe the maybe they don't know that they're not happy but they aren't happy and, and and it appears in their work performance or in the way they deal with colleagues and how do you how do you navigate to a point of clarity where you can start making moves that are appropriate for where you want to be or where you think you might want to be or where you don't know you want to be but you should be uh i, I don't know but because i know that the majority of the people in this in this sort of working world probably aren't happy where they are yes uh most studies have shown that the majority of people aren't all that satisfied with their jobs um and I think that some of it is um, 
I mean, sometimes it is just about changing companies, finding a new job, figuring out what is making me unhappy. Is it the company where I'm working? Is it that I feel like my parents forced me into this business and I don't want to be part of it? Or is it something where do I need to change careers? And I am personally someone who has, in fact, hopped around quite a bit. Um, I've worked with Eric before, uh, making films and commercials. I've worked in marketing. Um, I've worked in research. And I think some people, they do just automatically know what they want to do but with other people it's more of a journey and figuring out who you are and what actually makes you happy um one of the things that my parents actually used to do they didn't necessarily do it for this purpose but they used to run mbti seminars with clients uh for those of you who don't know The MBTI is Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. It's um, basically a way for people to understand themselves and other people better. Um, There are 16 different personality types. um, And people take a test, or you don't even need to take a test. A lot of people, if they just read the descriptions, they can see oh, this seems like me. Um, And then you just kind of explore that to get a better sense of yourself and other people. So for example, uh, my MBTI preference is INFP, which um, is introverted intuition, feeling, perception. Mm. Um, Just on the purely uh, introverted standpoint, it does mean that while I really do like interacting with people at work, I love talking to people and telling them about things and helping them, I prefer doing it on a one-to-one basis. I'm not someone who's happy going around and having short conversations with lots of people and um, building tons of kind of not particularly sincere relationships. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not particularly sincere is the wrong term. Some people just like talking to lots of people, which is totally acceptable and fine. And part of what you actually need to learn, what uh, the MBTI helps people do is kind of understand that and understand that, yeah, it's just a different way of doing things. If I go to a conference or something and talk to 50 different people, I'm basically a zombie by the time I get home. If some other people go to a conference and talk to 50 different people, they are happy, alive, and want to go out to drinks with more people. Yeah, and the the interesting thing about the MBTI is sometimes you might think 
you know where somebody falls. And I think it happened with me at one point where you thought I was a certain code. And then I did the test and I was a different code. I don't remember what I fell into, but you, you so when you took the test, you uh, came up as INFP, same as me. I still think that um, no, I did it later. I did it after we initially did it, and I didn't come up as that. Really? Yeah, I came up as completely different, uh, and and I don't remember what it was, but I remember you being very surprised by it. Huh? Yeah, I um. I mean, one of the things about it is it isn't my mom always said that you should refer to it as this is my MBTI preference rather than my MBTI type Mm. because it's 16 different personality types. No one fits in like one little box. Uh, People can be one thing one day, another thing another day. Mm -hmm. Um one of the things I've often dealt with uh, in my work life is uh, my f- preference is for N, intuition, which is tends to be more big picture thinking, not detail oriented, etc. But I actually am. I'm good with data. I'm pretty good with details. It's something I've really really worked very hard to build up over time but I've gotten to a point where I can convince anyone that I'm detail oriented mm. even though um whenever I take the test I never show up as that and I do relate much much more to INFP rather than uh ISFP and you know a great. I'm I'm starting to figure out now why my thing changed, and I think I understand why. Uh, now that we're talking about it, is I initially did it when we, when you, you we still had access to Lincoln Plaza. I was definitely rooted more in emotion back then than I think I am now. But I did it again during my MFA. When by then my brain had kind of been reprogrammed from having gone back to school over the past few years. And I think that went into it. Yeah, I think that could definitely impact it. Um, And just, it also is a matter of just how you see yourself. Yeah. Because ultimately the way that you answer questions is going to reflect that. So how did Gerard utilize this with clients so actually my mom was the expert in this right, so although we're he talking did it about as well. we're talking about eileen the great eileen o'shea the great late eileen o'shea uh one of my favorite people to ever walk the planet uh so we talked we we introduced her a little bit last last time uh how, in what capacity did she end up working with gerard and what did that relationship look like from a professional standpoint so um Dad uh, initially hired mom to work at his consulting firm and then their relationship moved on and they eventually got married, left the consulting firm and started their own together. So they worked together as partners and part of what they did was dad handled a lot of the... um, 
the more thinking things. Um, if we're going <laughs> from <laughs> an MBTI standpoint, point, um, he handled things like efficiency, layoffs. <laughs> um, how do we analyze all of this information and create a strategy so that you are so that as a company that so that a company is more efficient and effective whereas mom was much more of a people person and she approached it much more from a feeling standpoint so she looked at okay what are the interpersonal dynamics in this company how does the hierarchy work how do people relate to each other and how can we improve that so that people communicate with each other better? There are better dynamics Was it and her people idea work to, together. To use MBTI? Yes. How did she find it? Do you remember? I have no idea. It happened before I was born. Uh, uh, and so at what point would she kind of bring this to a client? So um, normally, uh, when working with clients, um, it started off with um, a in-company survey where uh, they would go in, they would ask a bunch of questions about what's your job, what do you do, what can we improve, et cetera, et cetera. And then... Based on that, they would go in different, they might go in a variety of different directions. Um, one of the things that almost always showed up um, in these surveys was people could do a better job relating to each other and working together as a team. Mm -hmm. And so then um, Mom would step in and run MBTI seminars for people. She would explain what it was. She would uh, have them uh, take the test, uh, figure out everyone's MBTI type, and then run a couple of follow-up seminars to discuss it, discuss what everything, what all of the results meant, how they can incorporate that knowledge into their work. Um, or since this started off with uh, professional development based on she might uh, work with an individual and um, talk about, hey, based on your uh, results, maybe this might be a more a career path that you're happier with um, and things like that. Um, and there would be a couple of these seminars, and then they'd, then she'd basically leave them to deal with it themselves because that's what you have to do as a consultant. You consult, and then it's up to the right. people to actually run the company. So, I actually, I have an interesting question, and you might not 100% know the answer, but you could probably give, give a little bit of uh, atmosphere. I don't know. Uh, how, how receptive were a lot of clients to either the MBTI, the MBTI results, or to general consultations? So, 
like were these were there actually big ch sweeping changes that were made because of the information that was pulled out of all of these initiatives that really depended on the company um quite often um a lot of the employees at companies were a little bit suspicious starting out just because they didn't know what to expect uh here are these consultants coming in um everybody thinks they're getting fired yeah fired. and I mean, in some cases, people were fired, but um, ultimately, the goal was to make the company better. Um, and normally, if they had full support from top leadership, um, then they could eventually get to a point where employees trusted them and were willing to work with them that being said um sometimes employees did actually appear to kind of fudge the results of their mbti tests um Save their job. everyone wanted to be extroverted detail oriented yeah. um organized and often the results were very heavily skewed towards ESJs to the point where it wasn't entirely realistic yeah um well I mean what do are ESGs like more employable are they leaders are they more likely to get promoted uh, ESJs. ESJs, sorry. So, um... You know these by heart. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my first MBTI book was like a little picture book meant for five-year-olds. That <laughs> <laughs> had dogs discussing their problems. Yes, that's right. The reading material of the daughter of a business consultant is an MBTI picture book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and awesome. incidentally, that was a totally awesome book. But, so so back to the yeah. yeah um so it's sort of if you look at um if you look at uh job descriptions there are certain things that show up very often so they almost always say oh we want people who are detail detail oriented um and so people want everyone to think, oh, yeah, I'm super detail-oriented. Even though for many jobs, um, you're actually going to be better off as someone who looks more at the big picture. Mm. Of course, also a lot of job descriptions say we want detail-oriented big picture thinkers, which um, those two things are kind of... They're not, they're not the same. Yeah, they're not the same. Yeah, I, I, I'm um, always suspicious of job listings like that. Or like, I, I think we've talked about this in personal conversation, but the job listings too that use the word ninja. Oh, yeah. Anytime a job listing uses the word ninja is totally fucking suspicious to me. Yeah, and honestly, like some things it seems like they should, they would be better for employees to be a certain thing but it's not necessarily that way so another one is judging and perception 
And please ignore the, if you don't know the MBTI, please just ignore these general words. Uh, judging doesn't have anything to do with making judgments. Um, what does and it mean? perception doesn't have anything to do with perception. Well, what does it's it mean? essentially um, judging is people who uh, tend to be tend to always do things ahead of time they tend to be more organized um they're the ones who have a careful planner with everything that they need to do that day the times listed that they're going to do it mm. and everything on it is something that isn't due until the next two days what about perception whereas perception um those are uh the people who are more like less organized, um, who are m much more likely to do things at the last minute rather than ahead of time, etc. So, um, in a lot of workplaces or just in general in society, judging is considered much better. It's considered much better to be organized and to do things ahead of time um, rather than doing things at the last minute. Um, having your own form of organization, as mo many people tend to say. Um, but despite that, that doesn't always work out for the best. Um, one example I remember very clearly is uh, I was going with my parents to actually an MBTI conference. And dad whose type was judging organized etc he packed his suitcase like a week ahead of time um whereas my mom and I we packed it you know the night before we were gonna leave um we all left to go uh to go to the conference and after we left, dad realized that he forgot one of the bags that he packed, a very important one, because he'd done it so far ahead of time that he didn't remember that he had to reach way back into the back of the closet and pull it out. And so that sort of thing can actually be a negative sometimes if it's Whereas what my mom and I did, we waited to the last minute, or not quite, but like to the evening before, in that case was much more sensible and it a more effective approach to the situation. Um, also, just other things, it other times when perception might be better, it could mean that you're more open to changing plans and going with the flow. You're more flexible um if an opportunity comes up you are more able to see it and bounce onto it because you're not trying to follow um a more regimented schedule and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't entirely understand about how the MBTI works also again just because um, someone's one type or the other doesn't necessarily mean that they always have to be that type. I mean, 
yeah, like in that situation, I packed my bag kind of at the last minute, but it was still within more than enough time that I was able to get out without a problem. Well, is there, in the NBTI sort of sphere, is there a, um, a ratio of types that you think consultants are striving for with organizations? So like, should an organization have X amount of one type and X amount of another to kind of be a, an efficient functioning Absolutely enterprise? not. No? So no. you could have a whole staff of people from uh, floor sweeper to higher management that are all just emotionally driven. (laughs) No, you should never have. (laughs) You should have, any employer should strive to have a diverse group of people working for you. But it doesn't, the, the ratios of the diversity don't matter. No, I mean, with some companies, just uh, if it's an accounting firm, you are probably going to have a lot of people there who uh, favor sensing over intuition simply because more people with that uh, with that type are drawn to accounting. Mm. Um, When I worked at a PR firm, it was the exact opposite. Um, lots of extroverts, lots of intuition. And uh, yeah, that's also part of the reason everyone thought I was detail-oriented. You know what would be a good <laughs> podcast to follow up this episode with is finding somebody from M- the MBTI, an official sort of representative. Yeah, I mean, those... There are plenty of people like that out there. Yeah. Because I assume that it's some sort of trademarked or registered protected thing that you have to buy. Yes. So uh, typically in order to teach it, you need to um, certify to be a registered, I don't know, person who talks about it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Well, you know what? I think... Between this episode and whatever the next Gerard one is going to be, I think that I'll look into it. Because I have a funny feeling that there are going to be listeners who are interested in the MBTI uh, for one reason or another. Maybe you're, you're, you are, you know that there's something wrong with your life and you got to figure out how to navigate to the next path. Or maybe you are running a business and you're trying to figure out how to sort of improve the dynamics and the relationships uh maybe the mbti is for you or maybe not i don't know doesn't hurt to try it oh yeah it's always good to learn new things yeah so and even even if say you're not at a company you're an artist who's by yourself painting or something even understanding kind of who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses are can help you figure out what next steps you need to do. So if you're, um, if you are kind of uh, spending most of your time in a state 
where you're using uh, intuition and feeling um, perception, then you might need to think, hey, in order to be successful, I actually do need to hone some of these other skills and create a business plan. I'm very into business plans for artists. Oh, business plans <laughs> are the worst. <laughs> it's just a plan. It's just I figuring know. out everything that's out there and how you can But what if in. I get bored after the first step? You know, it's <laughs> obviously, you know what type I am. Highly distractible. <laughs> well, we all have to do things that we're not totally comfortable with. That's true. It's just, I guess, if you are someone who's kind of trying to figure out next steps, it's about trying to find something where you are playing to your strengths and doing less of things that you don't like or that make you uncomfortable or that are weaknesses. Well, uh, have we covered as much as you know about the MBTI? I could go further into it, but... Would it, would it be like repeat information? No, not necessarily, yeah. but I think we're good for now. Yeah, I think that's a lot. It's a very dense episode. It was a lot to unpack, which... And, and I think what I'll do is I'll look into pursuing a guest who is actively in implementing these tests in organizations. And yeah. Who's, uh, that could be very interesting. Actually, Roger, uh, whatever it is. Can make it a three-way podcast. to discuss it. Because, to set up a third mic. Yeah, because I, I've been learning about this since I was a small child, but mm. I've never actually been, I've never really taught it before. Yeah, have you ever, okay, so... This is like a sort of comedic vision I have of you as a child in school. And, and let me know if you, ha if you have done this. Don't let me know that you didn't because I really like this, this scene in my head. is a little like Tyke Jan going to kindergarten and doing MBTI tests on all of her new friends to try and figure out <laughs> who their friend, who, what her friends fall into in terms of MBTI categories. Oh, I totally did that. I also got my <laughs> friends into it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then like some of them started reading up on it and um, <laughs> trying to classify all of their all of their friends and relatives and yeah. All right. <laughs> so that's that's it for the second installment of the life and times of the legendary Gerard Major. Uh, we were talking mostly about MBTI, but uh, that was, he, he was the obvious ingress into that. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll follow it up with a third episode at some point. Thanks everybody. Oh, and uh, don't forget to subscribe on, we're on 10 platforms at the time that we're recording this. We'll probably be on more soon. Uh, I also have a Patreon. Uh, Become a patron, please. Uh, support the podcast. You can support it through Patreon. Uh, the link is in the description. Or you can support it through Anchor. It's up to you.